Thanks to Harry's for supporting The Motley Fool. Get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. Go to harrys.com slash fool. And this episode of Rule Breaker Investing is also brought to you by 23andMe.com. Now, with 23andMe's genetic service, you can learn what percentage of your DNA comes from places like Italy, Finland, East Asia, or Africa. Visit 23andMe.com slash fool. That's the number 23andme.com slash fool. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. A delight to have you with me this week. Well, as mentioned on last week's podcast, I've put together a show this week to speak to maybe the number one most requested topic that we haven't yet already done on Rule Breaker Investing, and that's Bitcoin, blockchain, Ethereum, cryptocurrencies. I think a number of these phrases pop up big these days on Google search. So I think people are searching for information. And Aaron, you, one of my favorite analysts here at the Molly Fool, we've worked together a number of years. You're a rule breaker at heart, as am I. And you raised your hand and said, David, I'll come on. Let's do it. You need me because you're right. I need you because I don't know that much about this. And you're here. Yeah. And thank you for having me, David. I'm really excited to be here. I mean, it's been pretty phenomenal. Uh, Bitcoin was was founded in 2008, and here we are, almost 10 years later. And really, it was 2017 that was such a breakout year for all of these big, big concepts: uh, blockchain, cryptocurrencies. Uh, the first time that people started becoming really interested in learning more about them. And so, I think we've started to see some some greater interest and momentum building yeah. here, and it's really exciting. So, kind of like a nine-year overnight success story. Yeah. Is that what we're go. saying? A little that's, bit. That's awesome. Um, speaking of nine, let me just briefly, before we proceed forward, I want to mention last week's podcast, which was Nine Foolish Truths That I Hold to Be Self-Evident. Now, regular listeners, you already heard it, you know it, but if you're new to Rule Breaker Investing, Last week's podcast, pretty good as an overview for how we think about money and investing and business. And I also want to mention that that's part of my goal, which is to put together kind of a starter package of podcasts. I mentioned this last week, I'm going to mention it now, and then again next week. If you could drop me a note, rbi at fool.com, if there is a particular podcast we've done in the past, or a recurring story or something that you think would be great if you were trying to introduce this to a friend or a family member who doesn't know Rule Breaker Investing, let us know, rbi at fool.com. That would really help us as as we put together a package to get started. So now, returning to the topic at hand, Aaron, it strikes me the best way to start our conversation about blockchain is maybe by you defining blockchain. Um, raise your hands, fools everywhere, if you already know what this is. And I'm going to say that only about 30% of us are raising our hand right now. Aaron, what's blockchain? Sure. So I think the easiest way to explain what a blockchain is, is it's like a database or it's like an accounting ledger in which you can submit entries to it. You can't take an entry away, you can't just remove something. So if you want to make any changes, you have to submit another entry. Um, What's special about it is that it's distributed. So instead of being hosted on a localized server by some company or a government, um, it's hosted by many computers around the world. And those computers are the miners or often the users of whatever the underlying um, currency or tool is. Data. It's the underlying data in the database. 
Yeah, right. For, yeah, for the most part. And so, so what the blockchain is is another another way to explain it being distributed and global and decentralized. Is it's a way to track the ownership of digital assets, whatever form that may take. It's it's the way to perfectly track it. And it has an infinite memory. Everything done in that database is captured and held. So, in particular, for ownership, property rights, it's really helpful because you know from the dawn of the data, the first datum that shows up, who started, who owns it. And that's profound. And we're going to get into that in a sec. So, so blockchain, you've just done a good job kind of laying out what blockchain is. Cryptocurrency, which is a form of blockchain, there are many cryptocurrencies. Could you briefly define cryptocurrency itself? Sure. So, I would say that cryptocurrencies are a new asset class that enable decentralized applications through using blockchains. So, that's a bit of a wordy definition. But I think it's important to maybe break that down just a little bit more. It is a new asset class, so it isn't exactly a currency because there's more utility to it. It isn't an equity because there is no cash flow. Um, so it's something new entirely, and it enables decentralized applications because of how the computing is built and hosted all around the world. The the code, the centralized code, you could say, creates the rules, but um, there doesn't need to be an organizer or an intermediary to let the entire network exist. It's self-run by all the different nodes around the world, and that that is a breakthrough. Okay, and and we we were talking yesterday about this podcast, and you said you know David maybe it would be helpful to do a bit of storytelling about Bitcoin and and its founding. So a prominent new member of this new asset class, talk about the the founding of Bitcoin. Absolutely. So cryptocurrencies, believe it or not, aren't actually that new of an idea. Um, I was looking back, and it was as early as 1981, I believe, that people were trying to solve solve this problem. But it wasn't until 2008 when the pseudonymous figure or or groups of people, um, Satoshi Nakamoto, invented Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency that enables decentralized payments, wealth transfer, a store of value. Um, and this was the first time that the blockchain was ever invented. And so it was the first time that a cryptocurrency could actually work securely um, and in such a way that it incentivized people to use it and to support it around the world. So part of the founding is that there's a mystery as to who even founded it. No one knows. No one knows. It it's pseudonymous. It it might be a real person or people somewhere hiding, or it might be a completely made up name. No one knows. That's part of the beauty of this new technology. Now, Aaron, you said you, you were doing your research back in 1981. You said they were trying to solve this problem. What is the problem that was trying to be solved starting in 1981? Sure. So I think the the original problem it's a bit of a, a libertarian's dream, I guess you could say, to create um, pieces of society, to create um, a currency that lives outside of the government, so that you don't have to um, live by the the rules. Right, of sovereign the nation states and borders and all those things that, frankly, are a rather new phenomenon. The last three centuries or so, the idea of a nation state or sovereign nation, but before that. 
hundreds, thousands of years, there there wasn't that sense of things. Absolutely, and so that's a big piece of it. Privacy is another another concern here. So it really is more that bleeding edge group of people that wanted those specific need cases met. Um, and Bitcoin allowed that to be met for the first time. But I think what is exciting about this movement in general is that it's starting to expand beyond that core group of people into to new exciting applications and new people joining and being interested. Right. So let's talk then, let's move there next. What is this technology enabling? I think a lot of us think of Bitcoin first and foremost. And I think a lot of the reason that people think about that is because the value of Bitcoin over the last couple of years has skyrocketed. There are a finite number of Bitcoin, right? Absolutely. It is a new asset class, but it's a, like real estate. There's only so much earth, yeah. so it's defined, and therefore this moving price of the commodity is just how much within this finite class of a commodity, this new asset class, how much people value it or want it. And roughly, I think these days is it. I think it's around six thousand dollars or something like that for a Bitcoin. I think it's about fifty-five. Fifty-five, right? It's changed five hundred dollars since I last looked. But still a $93 billion market cap, which is phenomenal. Okay, $93 billion market cap, that's a number I didn't know. Now, I'm going to say two years ago, and I'm not looking at a chart right now, but Aaron, uh, Bitcoin was maybe a tenth, worth about a tenth? I mean, this is, we're talking about like a 10-bagger in the last couple of years. Uh, it might not be quite a 10-bagger, but it's still pretty phenomenal. Okay, so $93 billion value to this asset class. That implies to me, Aaron, that there's some real value here. And even if Bitcoin is zooming up and down on a daily basis and somewhat speculative, there's real value being created out there. In what is that value centered? Why do we care so much? What's happening out there? Yeah, so I think this entire movement um, is really groundbreaking for maybe three or so reasons. And I think the first one, and and one significant reason why humans have stood out as a species, is simply because we can organize behavior at a larger and larger scale. And in some ways, that, that is the story of our history, our evolution from small tribes to superpowers. And the result of that is more centralization, um, because as we create more value as, as a species, we also have to, to build structures um, into existence like governments and multinational corporations to protect it. Mm -hmm. What blockchains and cryptocurrencies bring us are a new way to organize networks of humans um, in a bigger and sometimes more efficient way, um, but it completely reverses that trend of centralization for maybe the first time in thousands of years. And I, I think we're only starting to scratch the surface on what that really means. Um, so that's number one. So that's number one. Second, a new way to organize human productivity. Absolutely. You and me. And I would say, second, this movement is transforming the internet of information into an internet of value. Um, and so, this new money through tokens and coins literally lives on the internet. And importantly, these currencies hold real utility. They provide access to networks that do real things. And, it, and as, you, as you mentioned, it's really the supply versus demand of that that gives these these currencies, these tokens, value. And what's what's a breakthrough about this is that the incentives are actually built into the network. For example, with Bitcoin, 
it's the miners who who uphold the network that that verify the transactions that create the new coins to boost the supply. They get paid in Bitcoin to make it possible. So, so when the incentive structures are built into the code, um, not only does it allow it to be a standalone type of service, but it also encourages people to jump on early, and the early users. Are the people who sometimes are rewarded the most? Unlike other internet applications, where the users maybe I was an early Facebook user, but I didn't gain any monetary incentive from that. So this is a new way to incentivize networks to grow rapidly. Hmm. Okay, so we're going to get to number three in a sec, but I want to zoom up high level and then come back to where we are. So. We started by saying that blockchain is the big, big technology. That's the life changer. That's what started with Bitcoin in 2008, the first blockchain. Um, Within blockchain, one subset is cryptocurrencies, and within that subset are Bitcoin. All right, so we can kind of see. We we can see the big picture. I want to drill down because you just used two terms in that last explanation that I think deserve a little bit more understanding. I've got questions about them. The two terms I'm thinking of are tokens and miners. Now you kind of referred to both and you broke down miners a little bit, but can you give us kind of the dictionary definition or the fool's guide to understanding what a token is? And again, what exactly is a miner? Sure. So I'll start with miner because I think that might be a little bit easier. So the miners are simply the people who have installed the software, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or another um, cryptocurrency, and they're the ones who are verifying the transactions. They're the ones who are who are competing to bring a new um, block of, of Bitcoin or whatever the currency is into existence, or whatever the, the specific currency dictates. Um, so they're the ones that are really making the network work. Aaron, are you a miner? I'm not a miner, actually. But, but you or I could become a miner um, inspired by this podcast. We could download the software, and we could start helping mining and hoping to get value for our mining. I think, I think you could. I would say with Bitcoin, specifically, it has become increasingly competitive as the number of, or as the supply of Bitcoins has grown. Um, the the mathematical difficulty in which the computers running the Bitcoin software have to to calculate that difficulty has significantly increased. So right now, what we're seeing the people who are competing highly sophisticated. Yeah, they're highly sophisticated. They're running you know like a warehouse of supercomputers to compete to win to win the next block of Bitcoin. right. So if if you and I are going to mine, that's probably not the place to go. It's at the outset of a new idea, a new form of blockchain, a new cryptocurrency where it might be uh, more doable or interesting to actually mine. Yeah, and I think what's becoming increasingly interesting is that um, becoming a user is actually a way to get these tokens, and by joining the network, becoming a user. Um, you have just as much of an opportunity to to reap the rewards and the gains of of whatever the underlying currency is just by using it. Because at the end of the day, these these systems are worthless if there aren't people using them. So the early adopters in this case are incentivized to to help spur that value creation. Okay, now and now tokens. What's important about about tokens inside this blockchain revolution is that scarcity 
is is a key determinant in making this work. And a lot of open protocols that exist out there, that's not really a factor. So there isn't a way to retain value without scarcity. Tokens introduce the idea of scarcity. It's sort of baked into the definition. Um, if if you have a service that's worth a certain amount of money, the tokens are what divide the value. So if I were to create, let's just say, um, Aaron Bush currency, absolutely, and I wanted to to build an Uber competitor that's decentralized. I don't know why I would do that, but just say right. So there's I work. Lyft, there's Uber, and then there's Aaron Bush taxi, right? With Aaron Bush currency. So I would have Aaron tokens, let's say. Um, and what you would do is you would buy Aaron tokens, and then you would spend them to to use in the network to pay for for a ride, essentially. Understood. And, and as and as the value of the service increases, as more people realize, like, oh, if I if I can join this network and get paid in Aaron tokens, that sounds great. Or so I'll join, and then all of a sudden you'll see that, like, oh, maybe I can spend. These tokens are now worth this amount versus mm-hmm. what they were before, and right? Because more people are using, they're getting away from Uber these days, getting away from Lyft, and Aaron Bush Taxi, solely driven by one guy, is somehow managing to compete. Thanks in part to your own unique tokens, that as you, as more people use your business, whatever your business is, they become more real, and and. And scarce and, and valuable. Absolutely. So there's always going to be a limited supply, or generally there will be a limited supply of these tokens. And as the value of the service increases, more people pour onto the network. The early adopters who have those tokens just say, "You're paying ten dollars in in tokens." Uh, so one token was worth ten dollars to pay for a ride. Maybe that's now worth a hundred dollars. Now you can pay for ten rides. Um, so that that's sort of what we're seeing. And tokens are really just the vehicle that measures the scarcity um, that changes over time as the value of the entire system changes. All right, nice job, Aaron. I realize these these are complex topics, and it can go really deep and shoot off in different directions. And so it's it's hard to to nail it all down. And really, the technology is evolving and changing as we speak, and new things are popping up. So thank you. You did a good job breaking those down. So you were talking about why this is such a big deal. You're giving three reasons. Just to summarize, number one, a new way to organize humanity, human productivity ourselves. And second, you said we're transforming information into value. And we talked some about mining and tokens. What is a third big deal to what's happening with blockchain? Yeah, so I would say that this is game-changing for open-sourced projects. Um, So, I think venture capitalist Chris Dixon, uh, he put this very well. He said that this breakthrough combines the societal benefits of open protocols with the financial and architectural benefits of proprietary networks. So, if we think about it, open protocols built the internet. This is things like HTTP, HTTPS, and that provides tremendous value um, for everyone who uses the internet, but it doesn't actually capture any value itself. Instead, we see companies like Facebook and Google and Amazon build on top of that protocol layer of the internet, and they are the ones who capture all the value. Um, So, what is changing here is that um, through allowing value to live on the internet and to create monetary scarcity for some underlying utility, um, we're now seeing these protocols um, now being called FAT protocols, be able to capture value themselves, so that um, 
they are the ones that are creating this tremendous value as people start using them more and more, and not necessarily, although sometimes what is built on top of it. Um, so now we're seeing, um, I mean, Bitcoin is a protocol, for example. Ethereum is another protocol, um, and that, and maybe those are the two big, big cryptocurrencies. Those are the best-known cryptocurrencies. And and Aaron, since you just threw out right. Ethereum, um, can you briefly explain what Ethereum is and what makes it different from Bitcoin and why it's of value to all of us potentially? Right. So if Bitcoin was built to help transact value and store value. Ethereum was built to contract value. It's programmable money. So Ethereum is a development platform that others can build decentralized applications on top of. Um, so it's so what that really means is all the value that that is stored in Ethereum or its token Ether. Really, it's just dependent on what people do with it. Um, but this is another example of a protocol um, or a FAT protocol. And what makes it different from the previous version of protocols is that it's allowing value to be created and stored right here on the protocol layer of the internet. And and that transformation is going to allow for new digital inventions that just straight up were not even possible. Before. So if I pay you with Ethereum, um, that also involves maybe within that transaction and that currency, the contract itself that that um, legally kind of binds us and we both adhere to, and that's kind of baked into the money itself that you and I just exchanged through Ethereum. Right. So you can you can create. Contracts through code, and that's what's being known as a smart contract. It's really just a piece, a small piece of what's everything that's going on here. But right, you could say, um, say I could say, hey David, if this this podcast reaches X number of downloads, then I will give you this number of ether. And if it does, then it'll just add automatically execute. There's no taking that away. Um, and that's, I mean, that could be potentially transformational from a legal standpoint, and things that you can do with that, maybe even in the financial system. Um, but really, I mean, that's really just scratching the surface. One of the ultimate questions we're going to answer before we're done is, should I be buying Bitcoin right now? We're going to get to that, but first, thanks to Harry's for supporting our podcast. Ever heard of Harry's? Well, Harry's is the shaving company that's fixing shaving. Unlike the big brands that might be accused occasionally of over-designing, and these things might well be related, overcharging, Harry's aims for a high-quality shave made by real guys for real guys. And by doing so much of its sales online, Harry's is, of course, able to shave away excess costs and offer its high-quality products at a price every guy can get behind. In fact, Harry's is so confident that you're going to love their blades, they're giving you their trial set for free. You just cover the $3 of shipping, so you can get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your free trial offer. That's a $13 value for free for you, with you just covering the $3 shipping. That's a weighted ergonomic razor handle. It's five precision-engineered blades with lube strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel. Aaron, you're a clean-cut guy. I try to be. You really are. I would say one of the cleanest cut guys out of us. I don't know if you're a customer or not. You don't have to say that. Um, this is just a sponsor of ours. But I, I've used Harry's and I appreciate Harry's. And and yet whatever you're doing, I think is working well. So I might. We can talk off the show afterwards. But sounds good. We're big fans of Harry's here at the Motley Fool. A travel blade cover you get as well. So if you like what you hear, you can go to harrys.com/fool right now. That's harrys.com/fool. 
All right, Aaron. I kind of want to ask you about whether Bitcoin is something that our members should be buying today or considering. But first, I want to ask you. Use the word transformational just before that break. I want to. I want to change that word briefly. Turn it into transparency. Transparent. And one thing I'm trying to figure out is. Does Bitcoin, does Ethereum, do cryptocurrencies create more transparency in the world because of the nature of that ledger you talked about earlier? Blockchain is just a database; it's all out there. Or I think a lot of us hear stories about how, well, you know, drug dealers in the developing world are using this to trade with each other, so they don't they can go around government borders or scrutiny. So I can't quite figure out, and maybe you have or not. Tell us, is this leading to more transparency in addition to the transformation? I don't think there's a clean-cut answer to that. I think, in some cases, the answer is no. I think part of the reason why something like Bitcoin was made in the first place was to avoid that. And when you do that, you do like bad actors do to come aboard. But I think overall, in this entire movement, I don't think transparency really is the real story here. I think. If it is important, then that will be baked into the network, and it'll be valued for its transparency. But it really just depends on the application. That makes a lot of sense. So there could be a new cryptocurrency that's all about the transparency of things and has additional fat code laid on top of it that's that's making things intentionally more transparent in some context because people value that in that context. Yes, and I, I do think with the transparency commentary in and of itself, with something like Bitcoin, you might not have transparency on who exactly is behind everything, but you will have transparency on every single transaction that has happened in the past. So there might be some trade-offs, but really, again, it just ultimately boils down to to what the developers put in the code. Aaron, this is an overused word, but I'm going to go with it anyway. There's an ecosystem at play here. Um, and ecosystems are responsive to changes, um, and those that evolve and survive are effectively responsive. There's an ecosystem happening here that's growing, and I'm wondering whether you have any predictions or thoughts about your expectations for how blockchain will grow. Right. So I think I think a couple things about that. I think that blockchain is going to help improve a lot of what exists today. And it's also going to help create new things that we haven't seen before. And so, as as a public investor investing in stocks, I do think that we will see blockchain be used by many of the companies that we invest in. Um, maybe most prominently in financial circles, I think a lot of banks and financial institutions, exchanges are going to be leveraging this technology. It won't be very transparent or evident, I should say, um, to the users of the service. It's mm. not going to be on the front lines, but it's going to be the piping. It's going right. to it's change under the, the hood. It's, it's what it's hood. what your financial services company is using, even though you don't notice necessarily. Right, and so I think. For the most part, that is what we're going to see from companies. Um, but as as we've seen with Ethereum, with blockchain, with these new inventions coming around, it can be used in new ways as well. And I think we're we're really starting to see that accelerate right now. I do think, from an investment standpoint, that there is a lot of garbage out there. There is a lot of hype that is probably creating the vast majority of these. These these new tokens coming online to just not really be worth anything, 
And I think that's okay because what what we are seeing as a result of that is tons of money flowing into the ecosystem, and that money is being put to use for development purposes, and it is accelerating um, the development of this entire ecosystem. And I think that that is very telling. I think that right now most blockchain applications probably don't need to exist, to be honest with you. Um, but I do think what we will see. Are a handful, or maybe a few handfuls, of big trillion-dollar ideas that figure out how to make this work, that transform various um, systems or ways of working in particular um, that that are incredible. Yeah, in some ways, I guess I think back to e-commerce and say a lot of dot-com e-commerce startups died in order that Amazon could be awesome. A lot of failed social networks have existed, and in some cases still do, but many aren't around, in order that Facebook could have reached now 2 billion people. So, in a way, maybe Bitcoin as a first mover might be unstoppably positioned right now to grow and succeed, and Ethereum may be playing a little Pepsi to its Coke. I mean, they're both very much in our minds today. I don't know, and you don't know, 15 years from now, looking back, how relevant those names will be. But if we had to bet, we'd probably bet that the early Movers that are pioneering and getting big by people tapping into the networks of them probably are here to stay? I think for the most part, yes. Um, I think that, I mean, obviously there are so many new currencies and blockchain applications coming online every day. As an investor, um, I do recognize that there are going to be a lot of niche plays. Um, but I'm particularly interested in learning as much as I can now about it because I do think that some of the biggest transformations are yet to exist. Um, a lot of the the most important cryptocurrencies and tokens have yet to even be made yet. And I do think probably what's most important is looking for those really big ideas. I think in Bitcoin there is a big idea, and that's peer-to-peer payments and increasingly a store of value. And I think that's very real. I think Ethereum is yet another different application. So I don't know if I would call it the Pepsi to Bitcoin's Coke mm-hmm. because it's it was built it was built to do something that Bitcoin cannot, which is to be flexible and allow people to build applications on top of it. And we're seeing, I mean, the largest fundraising event in this entire ecosystem so far is Filecoin, which is built for storage. It leverages anyone that has excess storage space on their computer can sign up for this and get paid in Filecoin um, to have people store their whatever whatever their files are onto your computer in an encrypted way. And so I think looking for those big trillion dollar ideas um, is what's most interesting here as an investor. So there's so many directions I'd like to go from here, and yet time is running. I know. Is running out. <laughs> Here's one thought. Next week on this podcast, it is the final Wednesday of the month. Therefore, it's mailbag. And I think anybody who's inspired by this topic today, who starts to dig in, might have questions. For you, for us, Aaron, I would say rbi at fool.com. You already know that email address. Email us for mailbag if you have more that you want us to talk about Bitcoin. Aaron, I'd love to have you back next week if we've got some good stuff on this topic. Before we go, I'm going to ask you three money questions real fast. At least one of these is probably unfair, but you're used to that from me. Is that is that safe? Is, uh, that, is that right? I've gotten used to it. Okay, good, good. So my three unfair questions. Um, are in no particular order. I'll let you pick the order that you answer them. How about a stock or two that 
we as public market investors might want to take a hard look at. And it might be something we recommend actively in our services. I know you're working on a report looking at the beneficiaries of this for us public market investors. So that's one. Uh, unfair question number two is definitely should we be buying Bitcoin today at $5,500 a share, looking forward five plus years as foolish investors? Is that a good buy, in your opinion? And then question number three if you like initial coin offerings, ICOs are a thing. And you earlier said that this is a new asset class. A lot of us as public market investors know that an IPO, an initial public offering of stock, is a significant event. It's kind of how stocks are born. So if you could. In any combination for these three unfair questions, maybe mention ICOs and any opinions you have about them as well. Ready, set, take it away, Aaron Bush. All right. Well, we'll start at number one. I do think that there are a lot of companies that are starting to put blockchain to use. I think one particular company that is putting it to use in a in a more cutting edge way is Nasdaq. They they're trying to to let blockchain underlie become the new piping mm-hmm. for their private market transactions and i think that that is a really good test and if that works if it works well we'll see probably blockchain as piping expand to the other pieces of that business for the public um, facing transactions, and then we'll see other exchanges hop on board as well. Another company I'll throw out, just because there are different ways to look at this. So, so Nasdaq is a company putting blockchain to use, but maybe if you're looking for more a picks and shovels kind of play, mm-hmm. I think that Nvidia um, is doing some interesting stuff here. Last quarter, they they increased the revenue 150 million solely because of of People buying these chips to help with mining, and Ethereum mining was a big piece of that. But as more coins go on board and mining um, grows in importance in lots of different ways, the computers that have to do the heavy lifting to actually bring these things to life and support the networks—that's going to be a tremendous um, way to create value as well. So uh, I think those two companies are really interesting and interesting to look at, also for reasons beyond just blockchain and cryptocurrency, which I think is important. Sure. And Aaron, you're you're about to jump to my other two topics, which are the ultimate question: Should I be buying Bitcoin right now at fifty five hundred dollars a share, and maybe international coin offerings? I do, though, just briefly want to thank 23andMe as well at close here, because this is a genetic service that I have used. I really enjoyed this service myself. It's a genetic service that can help you discover where your DNA comes from around the world. You can learn what percentage of your DNA comes from places like Italy, Finland, East Asia, and Africa. And then with the 23andMe reports, you can explore your connection to the world in a whole new way by traveling to the places that reflect your DNA. Not only that, but as new studies come online, every day being done around genetics, it'll start matching whatever study just came out with your own personal results. And while it's still early days, and there's not high confidence in every case, it's at least interesting to see how Neanderthal you are, or whether you're a fast caffeine metabolizer. And for example, the latter, yes, I'm a fast caffeine metabolizer, I discovered, through 23andMe. How else would I have known for sure? Well, that's just one example of the fun of this 23andMe service. And at 23andMe.com slash fool, that's 23andme.com slash fool, you can find it. What will be your DNA destination? Okay, Aaron, 5500 bucks here. This asset class has run up quite a bit in the last two years. That means people who believed two years ago 
have made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Five plus years from now, should I today be buying Bitcoin at about fifty five hundred bucks a coin? I'm gonna say yes, and I think that is actually gonna surprise a lot of people. But I think with Bitcoin in particular, the most important metric is the number of believers. And right now, there are still so many people questioning in it. Um, I think there are, in the end, there are going to be about 21 million Bitcoins in circulation. This is kind of a pointless comparison, but in the US, there are 11 million millionaires. And so there, there won't even be enough for all of them to own two Bitcoins. Um, and I think. I mean, obviously, we're not going to see it break down like that. But I think that there still is enough pent-up demand out there from people who are on the sidelines. So if this actually does prove to be a legitimate store of value, the 93 billion market cap today can go 10x, 20x higher, higher just as people believe in it. Um, sort of like gold, but digital gold, as you might hear thrown around. So more Bitcoin is being spun out. Yeah. So there. So one. Key factor in all of this, not to open another can of worms, is forking. So, if the development community or the people who actually own Bitcoin disagree on the way that Bitcoin should grow, and Bitcoin isn't a static thing, it's a changing currency, it's it's improving um, over time. Hmm. But if there is a disagreement, there will be what is known as a fork. We've seen one of them. Um, it's like a spinoff in the sense that what was just Bitcoin is now Bitcoin, but also a separate cryptocurrency, Bitcoin Cash. And the idea is that through spinning them off, maybe you can create more value by having them separately, but it lets each development community start creating them in their own ways that the that they prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aaron, I can't let you get away without briefly talking about initial coin offerings, not IPOs for stocks. This is ICOs for cryptocurrencies. Right, so this is a fundraising mechanism to help fund new projects. So traditionally in venture capital, um, most most projects are completely unavailable to the public to invest in. You have to be a very specific group of people with access to generally significant capital to invest in new projects. But with 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 the tokenization and cryptocurrencies, we're starting to see um, that open up a bit, and now anyone, any investor, um, can come in and help. Invest in and fundraise for these new products from the very from the very beginning. So your disruptive company that you where you're challenging Uber and Lyft, which we've created just during the show. This is a potential ICO in the future. There you go, disrupting venture capital a little bit too. I'm gonna keep my eyes peeled, Aaron. The last time I had you on this show, I think you were just simply explaining something like dividend yield. Right? Yeah, this is a step this up. This time, <laughs> it's kind of like trying to explain the internet, let's say, to Vikings. You know, there's a lot of steps one has to go through just to think about what we've thought about in this last hour or so together. And there's going to be a lot more discovery ahead. Just looking back at the internet the last 30 years, right? There was like, I would say, like AOL the first 10 years as everybody, as America came online, then the rest of the world. That was the age of AOL. Then it changed and Google all of a sudden showed up and Facebook after that next 10 years. Those things didn't even exist back when AOL started. And now here we are, let's say in the, well, it's not really the post Facebook environment, but there's a lot of things happening. This is an example. Blockchain is like decade three of the internet in its own way. And so it's obviously impossible for you and me to speculate as to how this will go going forward because it's like trying to explain the internet or think it all through in 1995. 
but you've done a great job setting us up with both a lens in order to look in and see what's happening and an ardent interest in paying attention. And you've done a great job here at The Fool with that. You help us all here around HQ. And I want to thank you a lot, Aaron, for being with us this week. I appreciate it, David. Are you open to coming back next week if we get some Bitcoin questions for Mailbag? Absolutely. Let's do it. Excellent. And in closing, any resources that we want to mention for people who have more interest here? Right. So I think one thing in particular that we're doing here at The Fool is we're actually about to to launch um, a series of special reports about blockchain, about cryptocurrencies, um, and getting more into the details about how do I actually buy this? How do I store it? How do I secure it? Um, talk about um, a list of stocks that can benefit from this change. So we're about to launch that special series. And so if you're interested in that, um, I would just stay tuned um, to your email to uh, maybe go go check fool.com for more mm-hmm. information yep. because that's coming up soon. And you and I also really enjoyed Patrick O'Shaughnessy's work on his podcast, Invest Like the Best. Yes, he did. Where he a put fantastic. together a great, I think he calls them documentaries. I think of them as podcasts, but they're podcastumentaries, perhaps. There you go. And he has three of them a series. And for people who want more detail than we're going to provide in a given episode of Rule Breaker Investing, where we try to skate across the ice, take a big picture of you, and get you interested. You can definitely go deep with Patrick and his very motley crew that put together those podcastumentaries. Absolutely. He did a great job. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot for joining with Aaron and me this week on Rule Breaker Investing. Again, next week is mailbag, rbifool.com. Get those questions in. You can also tweet us on Twitter at RBI Podcasts. For Aaron, I'm David Gardner. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.